Hey, I'm Prerna Gupta, and this is Win the Day with James Whitaker. You're listening to Win the Day with James Whitaker. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, this is the number one podcast to help you win the day every day. Here's your host, James Whitaker. Let's go. Welcome to our first Win the Day interview for the new year. Today, we've got an entrepreneurial badass who is crushing it on all fronts and has a ton of amazing info to share with you. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe or follow button so you can get access to amazing interviews like this one as soon as they're released. These full interviews are also available on YouTube if you prefer the video format. The quote for today comes from Rumi and says, only from the heart can you touch the sky. Only from the heart can you touch the sky. Joining us on the show is Prana Gupta, who has launched entertainment apps that have reached more than 1 billion people. As an unstoppable force in entertainment and tech, Prana's work continues to impact all corners of the globe. She's currently the founder and CEO of Hooked, an award-winning storytelling platform that reaches more than 100 million Gen Z viewers worldwide. The Hooked app has been number one on the App Store and Google Play in more than 25 countries and, and has won numerous design awards for its innovative format. How influential is she? Well, investors in Hooked include entertainment superstars like Ashton Kutcher, Jamie Foxx, and Mariah Carey, sporting champions like Steph Curry and LeBron James, and renowned talent agency WME Endeavor. Prerna has also been named one of the most influential women in tech by Fast Company, and her writing has been featured in the New York Times, Vogue, and TechCrunch. In this episode, we're going to talk with Prerna about how she went from struggling startup founder to amassing more than 1 billion users, what steps enabled her to get a team of A-list celebrity investors, when to persist or pivot or even surrender your business, and how to finally create true freedom in your life. Before we begin, remember that the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's a friend or loved one who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. All right, let's win the day with Prana Gupta. Prana, so great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the Win the Day show. Pleasure to be here. Well, to kick things off, is there a specific memory uh, from when you were younger that's still so vivid for you today? Yes, I actually remember um, when I was, uh, you know, probably about, I guess it was maybe six or seven years old. And, you know, you, you think about what do you want to be when you grow up? And there were two things um, on my list and they were, I, I couldn't really decide between the two, but one was a writer. I really wanted to be a writer. And two was an inventor. Uh, I thought inventors were, were really awesome and had this dream of inventing something one day. And I think in many ways, you know, my journey as a, as a founder has allowed me to realize both of those dreams. Oh, it's so nice. You know, my dream as a kid was to be a writer as well. It was a bit of an interesting journey from there. It's uh, I love the the fact that you've merged those two things together to create an, an amazing business. And I'm so excited to chat about all of that today. Uh, your family emigrated from India and, and that can instill certain values around making sure that the opportunity is not wasted, especially after, you know, a very brave decision to, to pack up and, and move to the other side of the world. Were, were there any expectations or even specific lessons from your family with regard to work ethic or career direction or anything like that? Yeah, I, I, so both, you know, in, in terms of expectations, obviously, you know, I mean, it's kind of a trope, but immigrants 
immigrant parents tend to have very high expectations of their children. And a lot of that just comes from their desire to make sure their children are, you know, have stable lives. And it could, because we don't have networks, deep networks of family and stuff to rely on. Um, so there were definitely expectations that I would do well in school, that I would go to a good college and ultimately have a career, you know, that, that made a good amount of money. Um, but at the same time, I feel like my parents are entrepreneurs. It's very entrepreneurial to leave everything. I mean, especially back then in the seventies and eighties, there was no internet, you know, calling. Um, I remember for them to call their parents was such a big deal. Uh, you know, it was like the phone, making a phone call was so expensive and it was a terrible connection. And so you're really isolated. You're coming out, you're a pioneer and all you have is your your degree and your education, and then your own confidence and belief in yourself. And so I learned those values at a very early age from them. And ultimately, when I decided to be a, become a founder, I was I was pretty young. Uh, it, you know, I had just graduated from college six months earlier, and I was working in a venture capital fund in Silicon Valley. And uh, I just you know, kind of hated my life. And I, and I really wanted, I had an idea for a business and I really wanted to, to strike off on my own. And when I, I remember calling them saying, I'm quitting my job and doing a startup. And, you know, they were shockingly supportive. They, they, they believed in me. And I think it was really that pioneering spirit that they had um, that, that, that kind of carried through to me. And I really appreciate their, their support through, through all the ups and downs. It's so great. You probably built up a good track record by then of, of making some good decisions. So maybe it made it a little bit easier for them to trust you with that next path away from the traditional stable route. <laughs> I think I had a track record of making many bad decisions also. So it could have gone either way. <laughs> yeah, law of probability. She, she's due for a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so interesting what you brought up there about the internet too. Like I can't imagine packing up and, and moving countries sort of 50 years ago when now you've thousands of people that we can connect with through social media and are already connected with. We can go and find the best places to go and live and all of those different things. I mean, even back then, as you said, making a phone call, just the the uh, the delay in communication used to be so frustrating. You would talk and then there'd be like this awkward 10-second silence and then you would both talk at exactly the same time. So uh, kudos to your parents on an amazing decision. And, and it sounds like a lot of great lessons that you have carried through to you, not just through your journeys and, and adventures that you have taken like Costa Rica that led to the, the Vogue article, but it looks like you've instilled a lot of those values and beliefs and the business interests that you've had along the way too. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, I, I do think, you know, in a lot of ways, entrepreneurship is a mindset and it's something that it, it's, it's a way of life. It's not just about how you build a business. It's about how you, how you approach your, your personal happiness and how you manage your time and how you interact with other people. And, you know, I've also been very lucky. My, I co-found all of my companies with my husband, Parag, and, you know, that that's probably not an arrangement that would work for everyone, but it works very, very well for us. And so he's my co-founder, you know, he's my co-founder in, in work and in life. And, it, you know, we, we really try and um, one of our favorite uh, startup books is Lean Startup by Eric Ries. And that's that's a philosophy that we really implement in our own lives as well as in our business. I was wondering there with the relationship that you have with your husband, that the, the strain of the entrepreneurial journey, which as we've spoken about on this show a bunch, like you can have some type of a version of PTSD as a result of a lot of, of heartache along that business and that entrepreneurial journey. What do you and your husband focus on specifically as far as making sure that your relationship remains 
remains very strong while staying true to the the business growth potential and, and all the stakeholders in in that side? Yeah, it's it's definitely hard. You know, as you mentioned, the entrepreneurial journey is can be so emotionally draining and there's so many ups and downs that you go through. And when both of us are going through it, you know, when there's a down and if, if both of us are experiencing that at the same time, it, it can be really tough. But for us, it's it's a couple of things. One is communication, just open communication, always, always being um, just very transparent with each other with no drama, you know, and just trying to, it's, we, we really, um, for the most part, we don't argue, we debate, you know, if there's a disagreement about something, it's really, okay, here are our argument, like here are our, um, points, you know, each of us kind of gives our points and generally the, 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 the person who's right ends up convincing the other person. <laughs> and I think that kind of just objective, approach to decision making you know and just being very open and transparent and keeping the drama out of it has been really important to our success um and the other thing is just we have this tendency to sort of i mean obviously we've been together for you know we've been together for 17 years we've been doing stuff together basically that entire time and so we have a really strong intuition about how the other person is feeling and you know when there's there's that kind of emotional up and down like where is the other person on that roller coaster? And I think we just do a great job of balancing each other. So if there's a day where I wake up and I'm feeling kind of down, he senses that immediately and he he keeps me up. You know, he's happy that day and kind of keeps me up. And I think I tend to do that as well for him. And that helps a lot. And I'll, I'll mention one final thing, which is sort of related, but you know, we mentioned that roller coaster. I think this is important for every founder. You can't let yourself get, you can't let yourself ride that roller coaster too much. And what I mean by that is they're going to be highs, they're going to be lows. The best thing you can do is just stay as even keeled as possible. So even when things are really great, you know, you experience that joy, but don't let yourself get overly elated. And, and that will help you when things kind of suck <laughs> to, to not get overly down. And we, we try and both really practice that in our lives. Well, congrats to both of you on, on keeping an amazing relationship together, which of course is, has underpinned so much amazing business success that you've had as well. And it sounds like the DNA of that relationship is focusing on health of those conversations through things like proactive communication and transparency, rather than this toxic stuff where people can take things as, as a tax, which is never a good, um, that extrapolated from one day for a week, a month, years, obviously doesn't land in a, uh, end up in a great position. Uh, you mentioned there the the highs and lows of the entrepreneurial journey. Is there a particularly dark day or, or a really challenging day that you can take us into that you've experienced personally on this entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, well, I've had many, but probably my my first uh, the, you know the first one that really stands out in my mind. So we've done three startups together, and um, our first one was a social networking site for Indians. We started it in 2005, soon after Facebook had raised, I think it was a $12 million Series A, which seems like such a tiny amount, <laughs> you know, in retrospect. And I remember, you know, I was, we were both in Silicon Valley. I mean, I had just, like I said, I was like six months out of college. And most people thought it was just insane that, that this, this, this weird website was raising $12 million. But we saw the energy and the momentum that they had amongst our peer group. You know, we were all on Facebook, we were using it. 
And we felt like this was going to be something big all over the world. And so I decided to quit my job um, and we moved to India to start this, the Facebook of India. Um, we stuck with it for four years and we had some success. We signed up, you know, 2 million, we had 2 million users at one point in time, like getting like good momentum kind of in India for a while. And then of course, Facebook entered India and completely ate our lunch <laughs> and Facebook became the Facebook of India. And so four years in, um, we still had some money in the bank, but it was clear that there was just no no chance. We had tried some pivots and nothing was working. And I had to make, um, he and I together had to make the very, very difficult decision to give the money back to our investors and, and shut the company down. And that was definitely um, one of the darkest days that I had had up until that point, you know, in my career and um, was a really tough decision, but it was also, and I think it was hard. It, you know, took a couple of months to recover emotionally from that, but it was one of the best decisions I had made because that allowed us to then start our next company, which we started very soon after, and ended up, um, you know, being a success. Two million users. I mean, that's amazing. Probably in any market, but India, given <laughs> given the size of its exactly. population, given that they have a billion people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Uh, as you were looking, you know, you were this enduring entrepreneur trying to find something that would be your your mega success. You mentioned earlier you always had this focus on storytelling and invention and wanting to create this. In your early twenties, you were able to go and do these to give these things a shot. When most people are focused on uh, either a lack of experience or a lack of resources or, or their age or anything like that, during these early stages, what motivated you to keep going when most people were writing you off and you hadn't achieved the success that you wanted at that stage? Well, it's it's a very perceptive, you know, question because it's it, it really is. I mean, you are out there on your own. Everyone is writing you off. And back then, especially being a founder was not cool. I mean, when I quit my job, you know, I remember I, I majored in economics at Stanford. Like all of my friends were in consulting and, and finance. And, you know, you know, four years into my failed startup, they were on, off to business school at Stanford and Harvard. And, and here I was just with nothing to show for, for my decisions. And they thought I was crazy. But you know, so everyone was writing me off, but it was really just, you know, there, there were those days where I woke up just asking myself, like, what am I doing and why am I doing this? And do I still believe in myself and, and, and in my dreams? And every time I asked that and really dug deep, the question was, I'm doing this because it's the only thing I can see myself doing. It, you know, there wasn't really a question. I'm not going to go back. Um, to that stable career path because it just doesn't inspire me. And what inspires me is creating these products that that have the potential to to bring joy into people's lives. And that was really always my mission um, with the startups that I did. And I just felt like I honestly just kind of almost felt like there wasn't a choice. <laughs> you know, this was what I was meant to do, and the only thing that would fulfill me. And that's what kept me going. In the absolute worst case scenario of all the amazing things you've happened right now, if everything just tanked, would you feel comfortable going to a corporate job or are you entrepreneur for life? I'm an entrepreneur for life. I I, I really can't do it. I mean, obviously when um, you know, there there are certain situations where a founder takes that, you know, the golden handcuffs or whatever when you when you sell, you know, a company. And um, I think that that would be the only 
time that I could see myself doing that. And it, you know, it would be for probably a short period, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but it's just, it's just really not in my DNA. I'm, I'm truly a founder for life. And I really also value the opportunity to build teams and to create, uh, you know, work cultures that are fluid and, um, just create, you know, give people the ability to, to be the, their, their best selves and to really flourish at work and in their lives. And I think that that's harder to do in very large organizations. Yeah. Your, your big goal is to change the world. It's very hard to do that when you've got so many layers above you, when you're constrained by bureaucracy. Exactly. Well, after, after you and your husband, uh, Parag, you, you reached a point in your careers where despite your success, these self-constraints uh, that you know became all-consuming, whether it was material possessions and all of these different things. And I, I wanted to read you a passage. I'm sorry to put you on the spot here uh, from the amazing piece that you did in Vogue magazine, um, which you wrote after making the decision to leave so much of your life behind. You wrote, freedom was what mattered to me. I realized more than status symbols, more even than making a positive impact on the world, which I believed in dearly. The drive I used to feel, the relentless need to check boxes to achieve success at all costs had all but disappeared. It was as though I had disappeared, but in the most pleasant way possible. And that search for simplicity and alignment, it's, it's so inspiring. What can people do to, to reconnect with who they are these days, especially after such a tumultuous couple of years? Well, obviously, you know, getting out of your, your own space and, and going somewhere else and being in nature is one of the best ways, which has been so difficult, you know, in the past couple of years. So it's hard. It's harder now than, than ever. Um, but I actually think the, the most important thing is disconnecting from social media, you know, from the internet, putting your phone down. I mean, I make, I make mobile apps, get off the apps, you know, get off your phone. <laughs> I love technology, but it, you know, it, 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 it can definitely be a curse. And there's just, there's so much noise out there and you, you cannot there's, it doesn't matter. I don't care who you are or how strong your mind is. You know, the only way to, to really reconnect with your center and just clear your mind is, is to shut it all off. And so the more, I mean, there, I try to build in those moments in my day, in the morning and at night, you know, where I, I take time before getting on my phone in the morning. Um, and I make sure that there's a, uh, you know, a, a significant chunk of time before I get into bed where I don't look at my phone. And that kind of helps me center, you know, I, and I do have a meditation practice that I do every night before bed, um, which helps clear my mind. But it's also just important to have full days where you go and and, 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 you, and you do that. And so however you can, it's difficult. Um, it's difficult when you have kids too. I mean, I have, you know, uh, a toddler, I think you mentioned you have a two-year-old at my, my son is two and a half and it makes it harder, uh, to, <laughs> to do that. But in a lot of ways you put down your phone and just, just be present, you know, be present with your child. It'll help you, even though they're bouncing off the walls, I, I actually feel so much calmer <laughs> a lot of times when I just give my child my weekends. 
Yeah, it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it? I actually had a conversation with my wife as recently as last night about just doing things around adding more boundaries to that technology. Because if, you, if you're not aware of it, I mean, there's always an excuse that you tell yourself to be able to go and look at your phone. And the reality is that the most important thing in our life is being present with our, our partners and with our children. And making sure that we set those boundaries is, is huge, especially when these things can be... Um, used in all parts of of life i mean you can use it for everything you can use it for cooking you can use it for fantasy football phones text messages emails these things are relentless right absolutely that that's exactly right and like you said it's it's insidious it creeps in it's easy to make an excuse that you need it for this thing but every time you pick up that phone and like that screen light hits your hits your eyes you know it it changes um i think the peace inside your mind yeah so true uh, you've traveled a lot in your life and you've spent a bunch of time in places like Silicon Valley. How important is being around the right people and being around the right inspiration when you've got these lofty business goals? Yeah. So it's incredibly important to be around the right people for inspiration. But I think, you know, we live in this amazing time where you don't have to be physically in the same place as those people to be able to connect with them and be inspired by them. I started my entrepreneurial journey in India. Then I moved to Atlanta. Um, my husband was a professor at Georgia Tech during our first startup. And you know we ran the company from there. We had a primarily remote culture back then um, in, you know, it was like 2008, 2009, um, when it was not at all, it was really frowned upon, <laughs> you know, to You're do ahead that. Of the curve. I remember having to explain <laughs> it to our investors and they thought we were crazy. Uh, and, and then, you know, we did, we moved back to Silicon Valley and obviously I really appreciate being here. I love it here. And it is valuable to be able to meet people in person, but at the same time, the world has become a much smaller place and we have advisors all over the world. And, you know, it's, it's, it's important to, no matter where you live, you don't have to move to find that inspiration. You just have to reach out and connect with people and uh, and you can do that from anywhere. Mm, love it. Well, let's switch gears now and talk about Hooked, your amazing storytelling platform. You're doing some very, very cool things here. Uh, it's offic- It officially became the number one app on the App Store in December 2016. What's the problem you wanted to solve with Hooked and why did it fall on your shoulders to do it? <laughs> the problem we wanted to solve was really that the fact that reading is dying. Teenagers especially are spending more and more time, as we know, on their mobile phone, in their social feeds, and less and less time um, reading books. And, you know, for me growing up, books were everything. I mean, they, they were what gave me inspiration. They helped me understand the world and myself and just opened my mind. And I, I felt... So the idea really came up when uh, Parag and I were traveling after our music startup, and we started to write a novel for young adults. It's a sci-fi fantasy trilogy set in Silicon Valley in the future. And we were, you know, when you travel, people ask, like, what do you do? And we said, we're writing a book for teens. And we just kept hearing this refrain, well, what's the point? Teens don't read anymore. And that really just made us sad. And so we started hooked with the goal of, of figuring out, can we change that somehow by meeting teens where they are, meet them in their social feeds and, and help show them that reading can be this very engaging and very fun thing to do. And that was really the genesis for Hooked. 
Yeah, reading and obviously wanting to be a writer when you were young, it sounds like, as you just mentioned, that, that uh, books have been so impactful for you throughout your entire journey. There, there are one or two books in particular, fiction or nonfiction, up to you, uh, that contributed most to the mindset you have today. My favorite book of all time is Lord of the Rings. It's, I think it's the greatest story ever written. And I, I've read it so many times throughout my life at different moments you know, in, in my life. Um, I still read it again and again as an adult. And I think it's just the most beautiful portrayal of this battle that we have, internal battle, and also, you know, that that gets kind of waged at kind of a mass level between this intense desire for power uh, and love. And, you know, ultimately, you know, you you, you can... um, you can t- retell the story a million times in different ways. And, and what you see is the greatest truth, but um, love, love always wins in the end. And ultimately love is the only thing that matters. And that has been really important to me as an individual and also in everything that I've done in my career, we really try and um, lead with love and to create products that, that help people see that and feel that. Well, Hooked leverages the power of storytelling, and it seems like one of the biggest turning points in your life is when you left that rigid and that planned life and instead pursued that adventure and spontaneity. Uh, and it sounds like that's where your story seemed to flourish and you became deeply connected again with, uh, with your true self. What is it about the, the power of storytelling and how can people give themselves permission to pursue their own adventurous side? Yeah, I think storytelling, you know, it's one of the greatest inventions really of, of humankind. It's it's one of the ways that we are, you know, distinguish ourselves as a species. And what it does is it allows, you know, an, an individual to share their unique journey and their unique insight and growth um, with other humans. And it can be with one other human or it can be with billions of other humans. And it's such a powerful way for us to feel the emotions um, of, of, of another person's hero's journey. And I think, you know, it's one of the reasons, and obviously you can do that with fiction or nonfiction. I love fiction in particular because uh, it really just the ability to, um, you know, just, just to kind of, I, I think there's a certain growth that you have by, by feeling yourself in another person's shoes as they're going through that journey that that's really unparalleled. And I, I do, I encourage people to read as much as they can, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. It's also another great way to disconnect <laughs> from, you know, the internet, even if you're on a Kindle, I love my Kindle, but <laughs> uh, yeah, and just kind of center yourself again. Yeah, you know, that storytelling, it's amazing. In my life, I look back at the most vivid memories that I have and they revolve around a book a song or a, a film in some capacity, the moment that you see that or you feel that or you read that, it just transports you immediately back. There's something about the emotional connection that happens through stories because even things like music, I mean, songs, right? They're, they're storytelling as well. And I know that you've got a music background. Yeah, beautifully said. I couldn't agree more. Uh, music is uh, is so powerful. And it's actually music is the thing that brought Parag and I together. He's a professional musician. I'm an amateur musician. I'm a singer. Um, Parag plays an Indian classical instrument called Sarod and produces electronic music. And uh, we met at a concert that he was playing. And it's, I think, yeah, music and storytelling, these are kind of like the, our two great passions. And, and they're interesting because they both 
have that same impact, like you're saying, of just helping people connect very deeply with the profound emotions of being human. And I think they do that in different ways. You know, a story is is really about um, a longer journey that you go through and through that journey and the ups and downs and, and kind of the obstacles that you overcome, um, you have this transformation. And music is so visceral. It's really, it's a meditation, you know, and it's about being in that moment and just seeing this insight into life that's, um, that's, that's kind of nonverbal that I think is, uh, is just the most amazing experience. Yeah, powerful, isn't it? Uh, you have an all-star list of investors in Hooked. You've got people like LeBron James, Ashton Kutcher, Jamie Foxx. How has that celebrity clout contributed either to the product specifically or the business growth more broadly that you've experienced? Yeah, it's it's really been more than anything just having, you know, they they have an incredible network. And one of the things that has been so um, inspiring to me, I mean, you mentioned surrounding yourself with people who inspire you, you know, every time that I talk to, you know, one of our investors or one of the people that they introduce me to, what I've seen is that people who are at the top of their um, space, whatever it is, they are exceptional people. They are not just incredibly talented in that thing that they do, whether it's sports or music or um, acting, you know, or business or politics, whatever it is, um, they are exceptionally intelligent, every single one of them. And they're also good people, you know, they, they, they do what they do because they want to make a difference in the world. And they believe in the same thing I believe in, which is really trying to bring joy into people's lives. And so for me, just having them as mentors has been incredibly inspiring and then having access to their network, you know, is, is, is invaluable. Yeah. The who, not the how. So, so powerful. What, uh, what high profile name amazed you the most and how did that relationship come about? Yeah. So our, one of our first celebrity investors was Ashton Kutcher and uh, we met at a, a, a party basically at a private club in, in San Francisco. And uh, you know, what, it just blew me away how how sharp he was, basically. And I think, obviously, you know, his persona as an actor, you know, uh, especially in like his early stuff that he did, was very different, <laughs> you know. And so I didn't really. It, it really, I mean, it kind of surprises you because he's he's a really really smart guy and he's a total nerd. And it was it was just I think that was really the moment where I had that realization that you know he's. Um, he's as successful as he is for a reason. Mm, yeah, the world's best or the world's best for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love with him specifically, like broadening his horizons away from acting to focus on social-driven and, and purpose-driven businesses and aligning with amazing entrepreneurs like yourself. And it sounds like getting a yes has been hugely important for you, whether it's getting investors to say yes or all of these other conversations that you might have with people. Are there any tips that you can share uh, to help people specifically get a yes in what might be a potentially life-changing conversation with them in their business? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, okay. Uh, three tips. One goes back to storytelling. Tell a story. You know, we are wired as humans to pay attention to stories. It's a much, it's much easier to absorb information when it's told as a narrative. So really, you know, rethink, don't think of your pitch as a series of facts. How do you tell a story? You know, if you can connect it to your own personal life some way and start with a personal anecdote 
Um, and, and, you know, whatever it is, or, or maybe it's about one of your customers, um, tell it, tell a story. That's the best way to, to pitch and to convince anyone really of anything. Um, number two, um, you know, don't get discouraged. You, you're going for the yes. You are going to hear no many, many more times than you will hear yes. And it's one of the hardest parts about entrepreneurship and it's going to happen throughout the course, you know, of your, of your journey. Um, and it happens of course, most when you're fundraising, those moments that you're fundraising, uh, just don't get discouraged. You, you got to just keep going and not let the nose get you down. And then related to that, the third point is try and learn from every interaction. You know, even when you get a no, what was the feedback that you got? And a lot of times the feedback will be wrong, you know, and, and not helpful, but it's, it still will give you some information that will help you, uh, you know, change your pitch or change who the types of people that you're reaching out to. So really try and use each no as, as an opportunity to improve uh, and get better. If, if you were working with a solopreneur who was like, look, I love all the amazing things Parent is doing. I want to get to that, that next level. What are the specific steps that you would take them through to take them from doing so much of the stuff themselves to being able to have more of a, a bigger impact, which of course leads to, to greater profitability? I would say lean startup, basically. You know, and I, I mentioned that book, read that book. It is, it, there's just so much wisdom in it. And it's really about, it's, it's overwhelming. You know, what, what you're trying to do, especially in the beginning, you have this grand vision, this product that you want to build, all these people that you need to get on board, the money that you need to raise, the people that you need to hire. It's too much. And it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed and try and do everything at once. Just break it down into incremental steps. You know, always, always build a minimum viable product. Do it a little bit of of, of work, get it out there, get feedback, iterate. Um, that is just, it is the, that's the only way to really to build a successful company. And if, if you start kind of thinking incrementally and executing incrementally, um, you'll eventually get to a point where, where you can start, you know, growing your team. Yeah, Lean Startup was one of the first books I was handed when I was in business school. It's an amazing book. It's it's great, isn't it? And I know you've done amazing to get Eric in, as an investor in your company too. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very lucky to have Eric as an investor. Uh, he's um, I'm you know he's I'm a huge fan of his, and he's been an incredible mentor. And yeah, I'm just a really big believer in in that methodology. Persistence has been so big for you, it sounds like. But what about for people who have this tunnel vision? They're sort of convinced that it's an amazing business that they have, but they haven't got that scalable traction yet. At what point do you pivot away from something or even give it up completely versus having the persistence to keep going down the direction that you think is is right for you? Yeah, it's a really tough question because, you know, it always feels like you're failing (laughs) no matter what's happening. And so, it's it's tough to know, but I, I've definitely had those moments where you know I needed to pivot, or as you said, just need to give up entirely and, and move on to something new. And it, I think it really comes from, for me, it's always been about asking myself, you know, do I still want to spend my time doing what I've been doing, and is this the most optimal way for me to spend the moments of my life? basically. And, you know, I think when you, when you are, when you sit and you're in, and, 
and you're, you're kind of still and you're quiet and you ask yourself that very honestly, you'll know deep inside. And that, that, that's kind of the moment where you need to pivot or potentially move on. And it really comes down to opportunity cost, you know, and, and, and making the most of, of your own talent and your own time. Mm. So great. Very valuable stuff there. Uh, you're a parent. Congrats on being a parent. It's an interesting journey. We have another baby on the way in, in January. So things are about to get even, even realer for us. Uh, a big thing. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much. You know, this is the win the day say, show. Me too. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. baby coming in January too. Congrats to you too. It looks like May. Was, what was the month of your, of your first child? April. Yeah. Oh, so, we had May, yeah. May the 1st. So we were very, very close. We're on the same schedule. Yeah. <laughs> A big part of my work now as a result of this is trying to figure out what we can do to raise healthy and resilient children. Uh, And not necessarily just healthy. I mean more in terms of like the mindset of adaptability and growth and strength so they can be resilient rather than, um, you know, to basically make sure they can keep moving forward as they face all the inevitable challenges and adversities that life throws their way. What are you focused on specifically as a parent to make sure that you can raise strong and resilient children? Yeah, it's a beautiful question and something that, you know, we think about a lot. For me, it's it's really difficult, I think, especially as a mother, because you want to protect them and you want to, you know, it's just the little things like when he's trying to put, you know, he loves Legos and he's trying to put them together you know, and it's, it's just like, there's every time I just want to grab it, like do it for him. (laughs) But I think there's, it's that resisting that urge to, to, to remove all the obstacles and solve all the problems for them. Let them solve their own problems. Another big one is just letting them get hurt. It's, it's so hard to do, but I think it's actually really important. I mean, within reason, obviously, Um, but you know, letting them get those bumps because that's how you, that's how you, obviously become more resilient and also just how you learn to navigate the world and to navigate life um, on your own. And, and, you know, it's, I remember reading a few years ago, there was this New York times article about, I guess they termed it helicopter parents. And it was really kind of horrifying to me, you know, to learn about these, um, you know, wealthy parents that are, you know, they, their kids all go to Ivy League schools and they're there, you know, every weekend, basically still living their lives for them. And I, I personally don't believe that that's, that's the best way to raise resilient kids. And a lot of it is just let them, you know, you got to let them be scrappy and, and kind of learn for themselves and that for themselves. And then the final thing that I will say is just trying to be that that model for them as well and showing them resilience, you know, the interactions that um, my husband and I have in, in front of our child. I mean, we're very mindful of that and we want to make sure that they see resilience in, you know, uh, both for us as individuals and also in our relationship with each other and then feel that strength and, and kind of feed off of that strength. So good. Without that focus, you know, as they become a teenager or whatever they get out into the the real world, they're going to be in for a massive shock, and that's where that's when all of those those bad avenues and things can can happen. So I really appreciate you being so candid about about sharing that. It's it's really powerful. It's great. Uh, COVID has been crazy the last couple of years. What have you learned about yourself personally during this very transitional and defining time for the world? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's just been it's been so challenging for everyone. 
I think one of the, you know, the, the things that has probably surprised me the most, I mean, I mentioned that we have been, um, you know, running our companies remotely for many, many years, way before it was considered okay. And it's been really cool to see the rest of the world kind of come around and realize that you can actually do this. And now as all the tech companies are starting to think about going back to the office, almost everyone that I'm talking to, you know, the expectation is three days in the office at most, you know, and they, and they get two days at home, which I think is really cool. At the same time, I think I have a tendency to be a hermit sometimes, you know, and because we, you know, we have been able to figure out this kind of virtual lifestyle Uh, and really what the pandemic showed me is just how important human interaction is, you know, and, and just being, having a community uh, is, is just, it's so fundamental to us as humans. And I really, really missed um, just, being with friends and mentors and peers in real life. And it it really just taught me the value as much as I, again, I love technology. I love being able to have the flexibility of working remotely and being able to connect with people all over the world, you know, such as yourself virtually is awesome, but you cannot replace that in-person interaction. Yeah. That connection is such a big part of the human experience, isn't it? Like it it really is. I love that you do that through storytelling. Uh, We do that through relationships that have helped get to where you are today as well. Uh, Last question now, before we move into the, the win the day rocket round, on your best day, what's an affirmation that you would write on a flashcard to show yourself on your worst day? Wow. Um, you know, well, I think I'll, I'll just tell you, I don't know if it's exactly an affirmation, but this is sort of just like, um, a little prayer that I, I tell myself a lot of times. And it's, it's funny because I mean, I'm, I'm not religious. I'm, I'm actually atheist. Hopefully no one hates me because I'm <laughs> admitting that, but, um, I, there's this, it's weird because I'm, I don't actually believe in God, but, um, I think I have like the religion gene. There's, there's a part of me that, that just has this belief in something greater than ourselves. And, and I really value having that, those um, just, you know, that, that feeling of kind of connecting with something greater than ourselves and channeling that. Um, And so whether you're religious or not, I, I, you know, I, I respect people who do believe in God, but you know, for me, I sort of say this little prayer to an <laughs> amorphous higher power, which is, you know, God, give me strength, clarity, and peace. And, you know, that's really what I, I strive for every day, you know, whether it's a bad day or a good day. And, and I try and channel that um, in, in everything that I do. Yeah, strength, clarity, and peace. If you got those three things at the end of the day, I think that is a day well spent. So thank you for sharing that. All engine Uh, Let's now move into the win the day rocket round. 10 questions for some fairly quick answers. You up for this one? Yep. Let's do it. Number one, what quote inspires you the most? It's a Rumi quote. uh, Only from the heart can you touch the sky. Oh, I love it. Number two, morning coffee or evening wine? Both. I was going to say both is the most common answer we have on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, what's one bit of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? There's nothing to fear. Number four, what book do you gift the most? Lord of the Rings. Number five, was there a vulnerability you once hid within that became your superpower? Being too nice. Number six, what's one thing you've learned about failure? 
success and failure are just a mindset. And success is really just a series of small failures that you learn from. And if you if you don't give up, you can't fail. Mm. Important part of that, learning from them, isn't it? Like so many people, they just they they have the failure, but if they don't take the time to learn and process it, then they then it, they can accept it as adversity rather than or or a permanent defeat rather than a springboard to greater success. Uh, number seven, if you could sit on a park bench and have a conversation with someone alive or dead, who would it be? Buddha. Number eight, what tool or resource best helps you run your life or your business? Slack. Number nine, share one thing on your bucket list. I know you've done a whole bunch of things already, so I'm keen to hear your answer to this one. Visit Antarctica. Oh, nice. And uh, (laughs) number 10, last question, what's one thing you do to win the day? Sleep. (laughs) I love it. Well, there are a bunch of ways to connect with Prana and Hooked, and we'll link to all of these in the show notes. You can follow them on Instagram at Prana Gupta and Hooked and download their app by visiting hooked.co. Again, all of that and more will be linked in the show notes. Prana, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, James. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that interview. As you heard, our guests love to hear positive feedback no matter where they're at in their careers. So share a comment on the YouTube version of this episode with your favorite takeaway so our guests know they've made a difference in your life today. If you're new to the Win The Day show, hit the follow or subscribe button so you can get access to episodes like this one as soon as they are released. The Win The Day show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Finally, the right bit of inspiration can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. So if there's a friend or loved one out there who needs to hear this episode or could use some help to win the day, share it with them right now. That's all for this episode. Remember to get out there and win the day. Until next time, onwards and upwards, always. Always.